Perfectly imperfect number eight. Although I wrote seven in my notes, but it's eight. (laughs) And it's about purpose. Okay. So when I was a young boy, and I was just living for the moment, and the world was wide open, and I had everything in front of me, I walked in a particular way, all right? And you just walk as if life is going to come at you, and you have so many choices available to yourself that you could take any of the above. And I remember my mom always told me that I was a very inquisitive little child. Uh, And she would tell me, like, just a story or tell me that we had to go somewhere. And my constant question that I would always ask is, why? Why? She's like, we're going to Grandma's house. Why? Well, because we have to go see her so that she could babysit you. Well, why? Because I have to go to work. Well, why? Because I have to make money to pay for groceries and the apartment and all this. Why? Well, because you need somewhere to sleep at night and you need food to eat. You know, it would just, it was this ongoing thing. That was my question. Why? And it never stopped. And it kept going even into my older years. And one day, apparently, I used to walk in a very, like, like relaxed way, in a very, like, the world is wide open, and it's coming at me, and I don't really care, and I'm just going where I'm going. Cool. Um... And I remember one day when I was a freshman, when you're like still embarrassed that your mom picks you up from school because all the other kids at school like drive themselves. Well, my mom was picking me up at school and I was walking how I usually walk, this very purposeless walk. And as I get in the car, I think I was slowing her down from having to go somewhere like an appointment or somewhere where she had to be really on time. And as I get in the car, I remember her this very distinct day. This is when I, back when I was going to Palm Desert High School. Sit in the car and she tells me, she just looks me in the face and says, JC, you need to walk with a purpose. And then I asked my usual quote, why? (laughs) And then this went on for hours. Um, But that why question really is important. And that walking with a purpose idea really is important. Although I didn't get it at the time. See, when we talk about purpose, we start to talk about one of life's most important questions. One of the big ones. Why are we here? Right? What is life all about? What is the purpose? Why are we on this planet? What are we doing here? And this isn't a question that just we ask today. It's a question that's been asked throughout ages by philosophers and laymen alike. And there are particular people groups that 
have given us an answer as to why we're here on this planet. And the tradition, the Christian tradition that we're coming from, reaches all the way back and has roots into ancient Judaism. And the roots start there. And their why is also our why. And that thread has continued throughout history and ages and kings and leaders and such. Well, in the ancient, the ancient Jewish culture, their calendar, so to speak, uh, it had ups and it had downs and it had uh, festivals like times of great rejoicing and celebration and it had times of you just work and then it had times of Sabbath where you just rest. So built into their calendar were like these regular normal rhythms and you could grow accustomed to these rhythms and be able to depend on these rhythms because not only are you living according to these rhythms, but so are your neighbors and the people in your family and the people that you do life with. Um, and built into part of these rhythms, they would have something called a pilgrimage, right? And a pilgrimage is where they would travel, you know, they're in the land area of Israel and they would pilgrimage to the city of Jerusalem at three specific times of years when they would have pilgrim feasts. Uh, they would all journey from all regions of the, the nation to the center, the epicenter, the capital city where the temple was, Jerusalem. And as they're pilgrimaging from these various areas, they were walking and they were walking with what I would call a purpose. They were headed towards something and they were anticipating something with every step that they took. And every step that they got closer to the city of Jerusalem was a step closer to them meeting and fulfilling the purpose of precisely what they were made to do. So they would come and they would, one of the traditions that they would have is that they would sing songs as they would travel together. And they were these songs that we call the songs of ascent. And they're accounted in the book of Psalms and there's 15 of them. And they were these songs that kind of had like this repetitive nature. Like you could imagine walking endless hours. And you're united in the monotony of your walking by the song that you are singing. This song of ascent. And these songs... Half of them are like cheerful and half of them are like really hopeful because the songs of ascent told you that what we're walking for, the reason why we're walking, the answer to why is because we are headed toward what we are made for, right? Well, we'll get back to the songs of ascent. As 
people were coming to Jerusalem for these three major feasts. They had the Passover and the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Booths were the three times in the calendar that people would come to Jerusalem. And because they're coming from all the corners of the empire and they're coming from air everywhere, this city of thousands would swell and it would grow to become a city of tens of thousands. And it would grow and you could just imagine the Jewishness of this city at the time of these feasts. Because all these family members, buddies, people who you haven't seen since the last festival, all of a sudden you're reuniting with them and the spark happens that just happens when you see people that you haven't seen in a long time. And when you're all singing the same song as you ascend the hill of Jerusalem to fulfill what your purpose is in this world. And this city would just not only swell in size and swell in activity, but it would swell in its enthusiasm for what life is all about. Well, during this one particular Passover festival, as everybody is journeying to the city of Jerusalem, um, now remember, uh, well, here, here's what I want to do. Uh, we're going to talk about one particular uh, Passover entry into Jerusalem. And it's a famous one in the Gospels that we call the triumphal entry. Uh, and the version that we're going to read is in Luke 19. So you can turn to Luke 19. And it's this account is in verse 28 and it goes till verse 40. This is Jesus riding into Jerusalem, doing the thing that normal Jewish people do all the time during Passover, which is journey into the city. Now, Jesus has the purpose of journeying into the city, just like everybody else in his culture and in his time. But Jesus has another purpose that lies beyond his purpose of just coming into the city for the Passover festival. Um, and what we know is he's going to the city to die. Now, this is a week before Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, the Sunday where he is risen from the dead. So this means it's just like five days uh, before Good Friday or the day that he would die on the cross for our sins. Um, and here's what happens as he rides into Jerusalem. There are prophecies being fulfilled. And there are like emotional, socio-economical uh, things happening in the city with people gathering, the city swelling, the emotions rising. We're seeing everybody again. We're going and we're purchasing goods in the city because we're here and we need food and we need water and we need lodging. Everything is swelling and coming to this climax. And everybody is ready as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem 
to say, this is it. This is the purpose. This is what we've been waiting for. This guy, pretty sure he's the Messiah, the son of David, is riding into the city and we're ready to make him king right now. We are going to build a throne and make him the king. And Jesus kind of defies those expectations as we read this. And when he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where uh, you are entering and you will find a, a colt tied on which no one has yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anybody asks, why are you untying it? Just say, the Lord has need of it. And this kind of cracks me up a little bit because, <laughs> because this is like Jesus coming up to you and saying, listen, I want you to just walk down the street, go to Blue Jay, this neighboring village over here, there's going to be a car in the parking lot of Jensen's and the keys will be in the ignition. You're just going to get in the car and you're going to drive it back here. And if anybody says anything, you just go, listen, the Lord has need of it. <laughs> and you drive back. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, I could just imagine how that went down. And this question actually does get asked as we keep reading. So those who were sent away, they found it, just as Jesus had told them. And as they were untying it, the owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? Which sounds like pretty subdued. Why for... are you stealing my car? <laughs> yeah, why, why are you stealing my car, man? Like, it sounds pretty subdued, judging by, like, in all appearances, this is thievery, right? This is... You're being robbed, man. And they do as they're told. And they just go, listen, the Lord has need of it. <laughs> and apparently that answer is satisfying because they make off with the cult. <laughs> uh, so they bring the cult to Jesus just outside the city. And they put their cloaks on top of the cult. And Jesus sits on top of the cult. And he rides into Jerusalem. And now as he's doing this, he's fulfilling prophecies. Prophecies from like Zechariah 9, 9, where it says the Messiah will come. And he will come riding a colt, which is the foal of a donkey. Uh, so they're seeing in all of this the fulfillment of messianic expectations. They're seeing the Messiah come. This is what we've been hoping for. This is what we've been waiting for. And the city is swelling because of Passover. Hosanna, the son of David. Let's throw our cloaks on the ground to show an honor and respect. And let's throw palm branches on the ground. This is why this is known as Palm Sunday. And we're basically announcing that we're ready for you to conquer. You see, palm branches in the day uh, were a symbol of conquering, right? And as great kings would conquer nations, like as Rome 
would conquer nations. They would wave palm fronds as a way to say, we win. So as these Jewish people are laying down cloaks and palm branches and they're waving them around this Messiah, they're saying, essentially, we win. And we're happy about this. And we're rejoicing and we're celebrating and we're worshiping because our king is here. So let's see what happened. And they said, uh, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And that's kind of weird. I don't understand why they set Jesus on it. Because like in my mind, Jesus is like a manly man and he could have just hopped on a donkey. Right? But they set him on it, which seems weird. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples, and you're like, wait, there's a multitude? I thought there were 12. Hang on. Uh, They begin to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice in the mighty works that they had seen saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the pharisees of the crowd i'll pause there pharisees get a little ticked off at all this happening so the city of jerusalem has swelled tens of thousands of people and it's not just like maybe what you would imagine palm sunday looking like in your mind like there's five people on either side and they're making like a palm frond bridge that you could cross under and then Jesus is coming in like thank you thank you this is like there were multitudes there were great multitudes there are I'm imagining thousands of people as he's descending the Mount of Olives waiting for him to ride into the city And they're singing praises in heaven and praises to God Almighty for the things that he has done. Because this oppression that we've been waiting for him to lift and this restoration that we've been waiting for him to to enact, it's here in the person of Jesus. So Hosanna in the highest. Praise to the son of David. The praises are swelling. And here's what happens. The Pharisees get ticked. They don't like that they are no longer the center of control, the center of authority, the center of everything. They don't like that they are no longer receiving the praises of man, that they are not on the cult riding into the city of Jerusalem, and that the lay person is going, oh my gosh. Those Pharisees are so awesome. Look how holy they are. And look how righteous they are. Look how they do everything right. Everything that you could imagine. They keep every commandment. So they're getting ticked that they're not the ones on the cult, I would imagine. And they call Jesus out. It's probably never a good idea. Like, listen, Jesus, you're doing it wrong, okay? So this is what they command Jesus to do. 
These are the directions that they give him because he's of such little understanding, obviously. They say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're getting indignant. And he says, listen to this. I tell you, if these thousands of people were silent, if I told them to be quiet, they would. But if I told them to stop singing praises to the highest heavens, even the rocks would cry out. And you're like, what? Rocks don't have mouths or vocal cords. Um, here's, here's what's going in. The, the story is getting more complicated. I guess you could say the plot is thickening. We're saying, what's life about? What's the purpose? And it would seem that these people singing praises to Jesus are fulfilling their ultimate purpose. And that's true, but not only that, not only people as the pinnacle of God's creation, not only the people who are made in his image giving him praise, but all of creation, every created thing, every atom, every star in the universe, every moon that is out there that we can't even see with the Hubble Space Telescope. All of these things, if you told this little, tiny, congregated group of Jewish people on this tiny planet in the corner of the universe, in a little city that swelled to tens of thousands. Jesus says, I could tell them to be quiet, but that wouldn't mean that the praise would stop for the king. If I told them to stop, they would be silent. This little corner of the universe would be silent. But if I told them to be silent, the praises would not stop ringing. The corners of the universe would erupt. And the rocks would cry out. And every bit of created matter that God had placed into precisely where he wanted it to be would erupt with the purpose of why we're here. Praise to the king. And as the city is swelling, and as Jesus is poetically shooting down short-sighted rebukes by over-religious people who want the praise and glory for themselves. You see, don't you see? This is why it was so terrible that Satan wanted glory for himself. This is why he was kicked out of heaven. And this, this is why sin is so heinous. Not because of a bad thing. Not because of... You know, shame on you, you've done bad. 
that's not why it's heinous because you misbehaved. It's heinous because when you sin, you say glory to me in the highest. And precisely what this whole creation was created for, you are choosing to disassociate yourself from what it was made to be. So when we sin and when we see here in Luke 19 as the Pharisees sin, the tragedy is that they would take what life's purpose is and point it at themselves. When in reality, this whole thing is pointing to the fact that life Contrary to what people say around you, contrary to the way you may have been raised, contrary to what popular trends in society say, life is not centered around the pursuit of your own fulfillment and happiness. What is life all about? Life is about the praise of Jesus. And as this city swells, and as Jesus rides in on a donkey, as he fulfills prophecy, as the people congregate and thousands gather, and they gather with their resources and with their time and with their life and with their energy, their emotions, every part of themselves as they gather and they sing songs of ascent as they climb the holy hill to Jerusalem. Something transcendent happens. And I'm going to read one of the Psalms of Ascent. And it's Psalm 122. Psalm 122. It says, A song of ascent of David. So David wrote this one. He says, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which tribes go up tribes of the Lord so as he's in the middle of this song of ascent the song that everybody would sing as they rise he's imaging this city and he's saying what's happening here is important What's happening around and in this city is what life is about. To give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set. The thrones of the house of David pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. 
Peace be within your walls and security within your towers for my brothers and companions' sake. And I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Now here's the crazy thing. As he's saying things like peace within you. As we see Jesus coming into this city, riding on a donkey, an animal symbolizing peace, right? Not a white stallion conquering peace. And as he's in lowly circumstances, he's not wearing a toga like Caesar with palm branches all over it saying, I win. And don't you dare come against Rome because I am on my white stallion and behind me are the flags of every nation that I have conquered. Caesar would do this right into Jerusalem. In fact, some scholars think that he was riding into Jerusalem the same time Jesus was riding into Jerusalem from the opposite direction. And as he is coming to proclaim his own power in this city and his own might and make the statement, don't you dare come against Rome which is a statement of his purpose. His purpose is Rome. As he rides in, in his triumphal entry, Jesus rides in, in lowly circumstances. Sure, he's met by praises, but he's on a donkey, an animal symbolizing peace, not conquering force. And as he rides in like this, he sends the message. This message, which we would find in scripture. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Yet those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those riding into Rome like Caesar saying, I win. Those who reach for exaltation for themselves. Those who make themselves the center of the universe. Those will be humbled. Those will be made low. Because they missed the point of what life is all about. Because any glory that you can attain for yourself by your own might. Is so dim and almost non-existent from the glory that the all-powerful one can draw for himself. So if you spend life drawing glory to yourself, that's your prize. You did it. And that's all you get. Yet, If you humble yourself, if you live a life 
that says Jesus is the king. I want Jesus to win. I will live a life that glorifies him. Even if that means humbling myself. The crazy thing is that just as he rides into Jerusalem as the Prince of Peace, pronouncing not conquering, but peace and death on a cross. Remember, that's his momentary purpose. Death on a cross. The subversive act of loving his enemies and drawing no glory to himself. The most glorious one giving all glory away only to be raised again and ascended on high to sit at the right hand of the father and he says I will dwell in you Peace be within you because the very Prince of Peace is within you. Why did the people of Israel walk from every corner to go to Jerusalem? And why did Jesus ride into Jerusalem to give his life up? And why did people sing these cheerful, hopeful songs as they ascended the hill of Jerusalem? Why? We're asking the why question. What is the purpose? Why? You see, Jesus had to come into that city in lowly circumstances to give his life as a ransom for many. To make the thing that would stand in the way of his glory, sin and death over his people, to eradicate that. To make those enemies made low. That they would stand no more. That they would not conquer this king. So that by defeating those enemies, he could be raised to the proper seat, the throne. That he could be the center of the universe and no one else. And that his created things, that's us. As we humble ourselves and we sing praises to the king, we find our true purpose. That by humbling ourselves and glorifying God and singing his praises, he chooses to exalt us to a place that we cannot attain on our own. He chooses to share his glory with us. 
He will make his people just like Jesus. And he will glorify them. So what's the point of life? Why are we here? What's the answer to the why question? Why are people walking to Jerusalem? Why is Jesus riding into Jerusalem? Why are they singing songs as they ascend? Because the purpose of all of this, whether people acknowledge it or not, the purpose of all of this is to glorify God and behold His majesty. And He's such a humble God that He would allow us to behold His majesty. He lets us in. He invites us in. And He says, all who are willing can come. And I'm not willing that any should perish. I want everybody to take part in this. And someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the king. That's what it's all about. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your grand purpose. Thank you for how you move among us and how you've moved in people throughout the ages and how you've humbled yourself and given yourself so that we would even be able to glorify you and behold your majesty and stand with you forever and ever. So Jesus, give us lives that are praising lives lives that are you-centered and not us-centered. God, cleanse us from anything that would stand in between us and you. In your name, amen.